0: Williams, we are excited that you're here tonight. Praise God! He's going to come and start out with Acts chapter one through thirteen, brother. Everybody, say God bless, brother Tim Williams. There you go, buddy. Do you have your mic? it blue
1: one? I should know that by now. But it's so good to be in God's house on a Wednesday night for Bible study with the book of Acts. The book of Acts, going from John to Acts. Very important. We're starting out in chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 13. It says, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after that through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen to whom he also showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God and being assembled together with them, commanded him that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence." When they were therefore come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the parts of the earth. And when he spoke in these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into the heaven. Then returned they into Jerusalem for the mount they called it, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where about Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. Leading up to a big event, which we'll get into more next week. But a famous Hollywood producer once said that for a movie to be successful, it must start with an earthquake and work up to a climax. Luke certainly didn't follow that formula when he wrote the book of Acts. Except for the ascension of Jesus Christ, events recorded in Acts 1 are anything but dramatic. After all, what's exciting about a business meeting? Then why record these events? Why, did Luke, why didn't Luke just start with the story of Pentecost? And for several reasons. So to begin with, Luke was writing volume 2 of a work that started with what we call the Gospel of Luke. And he had had to begin with the proper salutation and introduction. We don't know who Theophilus was, or even if he was a believer. I just think of some Greek guy in a Shakespearean play when I see that. But, But Luke's salutation suggests that he may have been an important Roman official. Which that even sounds better. Likely Theophilus was a Christian, or at least a seeker, who was carefully studying the Christian faith. His name means friend of God, and we hope he lived up to his name. But even more important, Luke had to build a bridge between his gospel and the book of Acts. At the close of his gospel, he had left the believers in the temple praising God. Now he had to pick up the story and explain what happened next. Imagine how confused you would be if in reading the New Testament you turned to the last page of the Gospel of John and then discovered Romans. How did, it, how did the church get to Rome, you would ask yourself, and the, and the answer, of course, is found in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is also the account of the work of the Holy Ghost in and through the church. The Gospel of Luke records what Jesus began both to do and to teach in his human body. And the book of Acts tells us what Jesus continued to do and teach through his spiritual body, the church. Even today, congregations can learn much about church life and ministry from this book. And this even includes the business meetings. In this chapter, we see the believers taking care of unfinished business And getting ready for Pentecost. What they said and did reveals to us the faith of the church. And what did they really believe? They believed in the risen Christ. After his resurrection, Jesus remained on earth for 40 days and ministered to his disciples. He had already opened their minds to understand the Old Testament message about himself. But there were other lessons they needed to learn before they could launch out into their new ministry. Jesus appeared and disappeared during those 40 days, and the believers never knew when he might show up. It was excellent preparation for the church because the days were soon coming when he would no longer be on earth to instruct them personally. We believe, we believers today, Never know when our Lord may return. So our situation is somewhat similar to theirs. The Lord taught them several important lessons during that time of special ministry. He taught them about the reality of his resurrection. For starters, some of the believers may have had their doubts 40 days before. But there could be no question now that Jesus had indeed been risen from the dead. (coughs) To strengthen their faith, he gave them many infallible proofs, which Luke, of course, didn't explain. We know that when Jesus met his disciples, he invited them to touch his body, and he even ate before them. Whatever proofs he gave, they were convincing. Faith in his resurrection was important to the church because their own spiritual power depended on it. Also, the message of the gospel involves the truth of the resurrection. And if Jesus were dead, the church would be speechless. Finally, the official Jewish position was that the disciples had stolen Jesus' body from the tomb. And the believers had to be able to refute this as they, a as they witness to the nation. These believers were chosen to be special witnesses of Christ's resurrection. And that was the emphasis of their ministry. Most of the people in Jerusalem knew that Jesus of Nazareth had been crucified. But they did not know that he had been risen from the dead. By their words, their walk, and their mighty works, the believers told the world that Jesus was alive. This was the sign of Jonah. And like I said last week, not Jonah Wood either, yeah. that Jesus had promised to his nation, his death, burial, and resurrection, the coming kingdom, and this refers to the reign of God over the hearts and lives of those who had trusted him. When you read the four gospels, you discover that the apostles had a strongly political view of the kingdom and were especially concerned about their own positions and privileges, Being loyal Jews, they longed for the defeat of their enemies and the final establishment of the glorious kingdom under the rule of of the King Messiah. They did not realize that there must first be a spiritual change in the hearts of people. Jesus did not rebuke them when they kept asking about the future Jewish kingdom. After all, he had opened their minds to understand the scriptures, so they knew what they were asking. But God has not revealed his timetable to us and it is futile for us to speculate the important thing is not to be curious about the future but to be busy in the present and that's sharing the message of God's spiritual kingdom with others and another emphasis in the book of Acts of course is the power of his Holy Ghost John the Baptist had announced a future baptism of the Holy Spirit and now that, pro- that prophecy would be fulfilled. Jesus had also promised the coming of the Spirit. It would be an endowment of power for the disciples so that they would be able to serve the Lord and accomplish His will. John had spoken about the Holy Spirit and fire, but Jesus said nothing about fire. And why is that? Because the baptism of fire has to do with future judgment when the nations of Israel will go through tribulation. The appearing of tongues of fire at Pentecost could not be termed a baptism. Acts 1 and 8 is a key verse. To begin with, it explains that the power of the church comes from the Holy Spirit and not from man. God's people experienced repeating, repeated fillings of the Spirit as they faced new opportunities and obstacles. Ordinary people were able to do extraordinary things Because the Spirit of God was at work in their lives. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is not a luxury. It's an absolute necessity. Witness is a key word in the book of Acts. And it's used 29 times as either a verb or a noun. A witness is somebody who tells what he has seen and heard. When you are on the witness stand in court The judge is not interested in your ideas or opinions. He only wants to hear what you know. Our English word martyr comes from the Greek word translated witness. And many of God's people have sealed their witness by laying down their lives. We hear a great deal these days about soul winning. And the emphasis is a good one. However, while some of God's people have a calling to evangelism, all of God's people are expected to be witnesses and tell the lost about the savior not every christian can bring a sinner to a place of faith and decision and though most of us could do better but every C- C- christian can bear witness of the savior proverbs 14:25 says a true witness delivers souls acts 1 and 8 also gives us a general outline of the book of acts as it describes the geographical spread of the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, and then to the Gentiles and to the ends of the earth. No matter where we live as Christians, we should begin our witness at home and then extend it into all the world. As Dr. Oswald Smith used to say, the light that shines the farthest will shine the brightest at home. The assurance of his coming again is also a theme in the book of Acts. Our Lord's ascension into heaven was an important part of his ministry. For if he had not returned to the Father, he could not have sent the promised gift of the Holy Ghost. Also in heaven today, the Savior is our interceding high priest, giving us the grace we need for life and service. He's also our advocate before the Father, forgiving us when we confess our sins. The exalted and glorified head of the church is now working with his people on earth and helping them accomplish its purposes. As the believers watched Jesus being taken up into glory, two angels appeared and, and gently rebuked them. Angels play an important role in the ministry described in Acts, just as they do today, even though we cannot see them. The angels are the servants of the saints. The two messengers gave the believers assurance that Jesus would come again, just as he had been taken from them. And this seems to refer to his public coming in the clouds that we've heard mentioned in Scripture, rather than his coming for the church in a moment of a twinkling of an eye, as also is mentioned in the New Testament. Regardless of what views different people may take of the Lord's prophetic programs, Christians agree that Jesus is coming again and that he can come at any time, And this in and of itself is a great motivation for the faithful to remain strong in Christian service. Another theme in the book and in this chapter is they believed in each other. Meaning the disciples, of course, that were left behind by Jesus that day. They obeyed their Lord's commandment and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, as Luke says. It is likely that the group met in the upper room where the last Passover had been celebrated. But they were also found at worship in the temple, too. What a variety of people made up that first assembly of believers. There were men and women, apostles, and ordinary people, and even members of the Lord's earthly family. His brethren had not believed in him during his ministry, but they did come to trust him after the resurrection. Mary was there as a member of the assembly, participating in worship and prayer along with the others. The center of their fellowship was the risen Christ, and all of them adored and magnified him. How easy it would have been for someone to bring division into this beautiful assembly of human people! The members of the Lord's family might have claimed special recognition. Or Peter could have been criticized for his cowardly denial of the Savior. Or perhaps Peter might have blamed John because it was John that brought him into the high priest's house. John might well have reminded the others that he had faithfully stood at the cross and had even been chosen by the Savior to care for his mother. But there was none of this. In fact, nobody was even arguing over who among them was the greatest. The key phrase in this chapter is with one accord a phrase that is found six times in acts it's found in acts 1 and 14 2 and 1 acts 46 it's 4 and 24 5 and 12 15 and 25 there was among these believers a wonderful unity that bound them together in Christ the kind of unity that Christians and all of us need today I do not want the walls of separation between different orders of Christians to be destroyed, said this one preacher, but only lowered so that we shake hands a little easier over them. It's not enough for Christians to have faith in the Lord. They must also have faith in one another. To these 120 people, the Lord had given a solemn responsibility of bearing witness to a lost world, and none of them could do that job alone. They would experience severe persecution in the days ahead, and one of them, James, would lay down his life for Christ. It was not a time for asking who is the greatest or who committed the greatest sin. It was a time for praying together and standing together in the Lord as they waited and worshipped together. And they were, in that process, they were becoming better prepared for the work that was laid before them. Prayer also plays an important role in the story of the church as recorded in the book of Acts. The believers prayed for guidance in making decisions and courage to witness for Christ. In fact, prayer was a normal part of their daily ministry. Stephen prayed as he was being stoned and as we will find later in Acts 7. Peter and John prayed for the Samaritans in Acts 8. And Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul later, prayed prayed after his conversion. Peter prayed before he raised, Dor- raised Dorcas from the dead in Acts 9. Cornelius prayed that God would show him how to be saved in Acts 10. And Peter was on the housetop praying when God told him how to be the answer to, to Cornelius' prayers. The believers in John Mark's house prayed for Peter when he was in prison. And the Lord delivered him both from prison and from death in Acts 12. The church at Antioch fasted and prayed before sending out Barnabas and Paul in Acts 13. It was at a prayer meeting in Philippi that God opened Lydia's heart in Acts 16 and another prayer meeting in Philippi that opened the prison doors. Paul prayed for his friends before leaving them in Acts 20. In the midst of the storm, he also prayed for God's blessing in Acts 27, and after the storm, he prayed that God would heal a sick man. In almost every chapter in Acts, you will find a reference to prayer, and the book makes it very clear that something happens when God's people pray. This is certainly a good lesson for the church today. Prayer is both a thermometer and a thermostat for the local church, for the spiritual temperature either goes up or down, depending on how... God's people pray. John Bunyan, an author of Pilgrim's Progress, said, Prayer is a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge to Satan. And in the book of Acts, you see prayer accomplishing all kinds of things, just like you do today when you pray.
0: Praise the Lord. Give him a hand today. Amen. He's, that was really good. Praise the Lord. And uh, that was really good. Thank you, Sir Brother Tim Williams. Wonderful job. If you'll stand with me today, praise the Lord. I'm going to continue on. I'm going to read part of it and then I'll allow you to be seated and then we'll just row on. Acts chapter 1 and verse 14 says These all continued in one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. And his brethren, And those days Peter stood in the midst of the disciples and said the number of the names together were about 120. Men and brethren, this scripture needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost, by the mouth of David, speaks before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falleth headlong. He burst asunder in the midst, and his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers of Jerusalem, inasmuch as the field is called in the proper tongue, uh, Achalmedea, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let the inhabitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishop bishop, uh, his yeah, his bishop, bishop, let another man take. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. You may be seated. Praise God. The thing that Brother Tim Williams said, it just blows my mind, um, and uh, I was going to kid him a little bit and say, from now on, I'm going first, because he uh, he just... Him and I must have the same mind, because he, he he does a lot of what I'm going to do, and I'm sitting here thinking, okay, okay, when I get up there, you do a good job, and I'm proud of you. Praise God. But he talked about being in one accord, and uh, that's the thing. See, the church comes together, and we're in one accord. Um, there are times when I will teach a message on Sunday morning, and Brother Mike Wood will get up here, and he'll preach something similar, the same thing that night. There are times when uh, if you watch in the church, praise the Lord, there'll be a consistency in the church. And uh, and so um, it just it just blows my mind. I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I'll tell you something else that happens. It's happened twice, very, very, very much in the last two months. And that is we've had a situation where my wife and I, have personally privately worked with something and the very next service the speaker got up and i mean he danced all over it and i i had to go to them and i had to say to them look i didn't say a word about it well i knew you wouldn't Mm -hmm. Um, and so um if sister ruth remembers the first time she came uh she was not the first time she'd been coming and i knew a little bit of her life We had an evangelist in, and there was hardly anybody here. Uh, Might have only been her. And he got up and read her story. He read her life like a book. And I'm like, oh, my God, man, I'm not ever having you back. You make me look bad. No, I'm just (laughs) kidding. (laughs) But he was in the will of God. I used to teach a home Bible study just up the street here. And uh, when I would go home the husband would chew the wife out because he said, you've been calling and telling him things. And she's like, no, I have not told him anything. And the amazing thing is you don't realize that you're really hitting the nail on the head when you're preaching. You just know this is the direction the Lord wants to go. It's being in one accord. It's being in one mind and one accord. And all through, Genesis, or all through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they wanted to know who was going to sit on his right and on his left. But when it came to the real true church in the book of Acts, uh, God had them become in one accord. They were broken. Brokenness will bring us together. If, if, if America's going to face revival, it's going to have to be broken. Praise God. It's going to have to feel the devastation. It's going to have to have the tsunami of, of, of devastation to come. I pray about revival. I ask the Lord all the time for revival. And the Lord tells me, he says, you know, that before revival's come, you're going to face devastation. And I'm like, yeah, God, I know that. Praise the Lord. And so, but uh, devastation. These disciples were devastated because their master was crucified and taken away from them. And that caused them to uh, come together. You remember when 9-11 happened? When 9-11 happened, you didn't hear anybody argue about we shouldn't be praying in school. There wasn't any of that, praise God, because uh, that was a very fearful thing. I mean, I was uh, at Wendy's in Wellsburg, and I found out that one, t- one tower was hit, and I finished it up and went to the Dairy Queen, found out another tower was hit, was very good friends with Perry Redmond. And called him because he was a U.S. Air Pilot. Made sure that he was on the ground, and he—they didn't have TV, so he didn't know anything about it at the time. But it just—and it devastated us. We wondered, you know, what was happening. Praise the Lord! And it brought unity to the America at that point for a little while. We was like, oh, let's—we got to get to the church. We got to pray. We got to do this. We got to do that. And so it's a devastation that does that. It was the devastation of Christ's crucifixion that caused them to want to be in one accord. Um, in one accord, here in verse 14, which he did, Acts 2 and 1, all through the book of Acts, Acts 2 and 1 says, And they were all with one accord. Acts 4 and 24 says, With one accord and in one place. Acts 5 and 12, that they were all with one accord. Acts 8 and 6 says the people were in one accord, gave heed. Acts 12 and 20 says they came with one accord. Acts 15 and 25 said they assembled with one accord. Philippians tells us, Philippians 2 and 2 says, Fulfill ye my joy, for ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. When we can come together in a church service and we're not sitting here worried about what we're going to do after service or we're not sitting here worried about, uh, you know, uh, what somebody's thinking about us or what somebody's doing or we're not uh, kind of um, separated from one another but we come together and we bind together in one mind and in one accord, uh, that's when the Holy Ghost can really move. And that's when the Holy Ghost can really have uh, full rule and reign. Praise God. When the church is in one accord. Uh, and and one thing that will bring, once again, the church to a, one accord is, and that is a devastation, a need, uh, a, a, a situation, a bad situation. If we were to go into war, if Russia was to set off some nuclear bombs and we were going to be really... Uh, have uh, a lot of fear in that. I'm telling you, people would drop the petty stuff and they would be crying out to God. Uh, And there would be one mind and one accord. And so it was one mind and one accord in the book of Acts when the Holy Ghost was poured out, and that's why they had revival. And so uh, it was one mind and one accord. But one of the things that popped out to me in the scriptures was, and that is the fact that uh, the Bible says, that there, that there was women, a lot of women there. Now, the 120, I believe, was not the full church. I think it was the core of the church. You have the thing called the core of the church. And the 120 was the core of the church because later 3,000 got the Holy Ghost. The church was big. It was a big church. It wasn't isolated to just Jerusalem. But there in Jerusalem, there was the 120 but it's amazing to me, and I just want to take a moment tonight to honor the women. Because I know that over the years, amen, uh, women have made, played a tremendous role in biblical times when you look at people like Ruth and when you, when you look at, at different women down through the Bible. Amen. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the woman that took care of the prophet. Uh, it wasn't her husband that said we need to take care of him. It was the, it was his wife that said we need to take care of the prophet. And so the women down through the period of time uh, who have was in the church and took care. And we have women. Y'all are going to have your banquet. This Mother's Day just came, but women play a tremendous role in our church. They may not get up in the pulpit and preach. They may not get up and do things. But there are a lot of things that the women do in our church that make the church what it is. The women took care of Jesus. The women made sure that he was fed, the women made sure that he was clothed, the women made sure that he looked good. They took care of him. It was the women that came to Jesus's tomb, the first to be at his tomb to make sure that he was taken care of. And it's just amazing to me that this the Greek word in this book of Acts chapter 1 when it said women, meant there was a lot of women. There was a lot of women. It, it just, it, it, in other words, there were so many women that it emphasized that there was women. There was Mary Magdalene. There was Mo- Mary, the mother of Jesus. And by the way, do you realize that this is the last time she's ever mentioned in the, in the New Testament? Praise God. And then there was Joas, the mother of Zebedee's. There was Joanna, the wife of Closey. There was Peter's wife, of course. Amen. And then the other disciples had wives. But these women were there. And, and so there was 120 in that upper room. Once again, I don't think this was the whole church, but I think this was the core of the church. Amen. And so they came together and they had business to do. You see, part of the church sometimes is just taking care of business. You got to take care of business, and here uh, they uh, brought forth uh, the the uh, the business of the church. Verse sixteen says, "And men and brethren, the scriptures must needs be fulfilled." Um, There are some scriptures in in Psalms that talked about uh, that you know the Christ crucifixion and, and. uh, all through the book of Psalms, I, I really tried to find or designate a certain area. Um, there were bits and pieces in Psalms um, that talked about that you could pick up, and and it talked about prophesied about Judas his betrayal, uh, how that he'll lift his foot against him, um, and so. Uh, but it says that these the that this had to be fulfilled. There's sometimes in a church that there's certain things that God wants to fulfill in a church. And uh, there's things in your life that you know God's got to fulfill that thing in my life. That's something that has to be fulfilled. There there has to be something taken care of. Uh, Everybody in the church has a place. Everybody in the church has a position. Everybody in the church has a purpose. And whenever that purpose is not there anymore, that purpose needs to be filled. And so um, because there were not the 12 disciples or the 12 apostles, uh, th- need- that needed to be fulfilled. And, and, and David, once again, I don't think David really saw Jesus. I don't think David really knew what he was fully saying. I think that he was speaking it and he was realizing what he was writing but he did not fulfill it. It was like the bones and the meat had to be put on. And so, and that's the same way the Lord does now. The Lord, uh, you know, uh, you could be, even you can be witnessing to somebody say something and later think, why did I say that? And the Holy Ghost has allowed you to say that. And uh, you did not realize why you said it. But the Holy Ghost allowed you to say it. And the person knew what you, that you said it and needed to hear it. And so um, it, it was just, you know, David did that. And so there are three things, though, that I've learned from this. And that was Jude, Judas had a lot, or he had a place in life. Judas, the Lord said he had a lot. He had a place in life. And, and the Bible talks about Judas's lot. Every one of us that God has allowed to be born, every one of us that has been created has a purpose. God, You just wasn't born, and all of a sudden, now we've got to find a place for you. In the ultimate mind of God, when He created you, He created you knowing that you had a place in life. He created you for a certain place. Have you ever noticed not everybody's created as preachers? Have you ever noticed not everybody's created as Sunday school teachers? Have you ever noticed that everybody's not created as youth leaders? Have you ever noticed that everybody's not created with the kind of talents and desires that Rachel has? Thank God for, thank God for every one of you in here today. Praise God. Brother Wayne Boley is our senior board member, and he's very, very important to me. Praise God, because he warns me at times. Brother White, we was getting some work done one time, and I was going to write the check before it was finished, and he's like, ah, you better pay part and wait. Okay. You know, I need that. We need those people in our lives. And everybody is born with a lot. Judas had a place in life. He was to be one of the disciples. Praise God. So one of the things I look at this and I see out of these scriptures, I learn that everybody has a lot in life. And the thing of it is, oh, this is Wednesday night. I shouldn't be getting into this. But the Holy Ghost is, so here we go. And I think I've done this before, but you need to learn to be satisfied with where God has put you. You need to realize, I am glad, I thank God, that I only have a half a head of hair. (laughs) You know what I did? I went to one of my friends. I will never tell you who he is, and he probably won't watch his podcast, but he is really, really proud of his looks. And I went to him the other day, and I said, I'm going to go do something you can't do. He said, what, Somerset setups? I said, no. I said, I'm going to go get a half a head of haircut." he had a full head of hair but you got to be happy with who you are the lot that God has given you praise the lord and what you do in life doesn't determine who you are your weaknesses doesn't make your self esteem or who you are god made you you i got hammers in my toolbox And do you know what the problem is with a hammer? A hammer thinks everything is a nail. Praise God. That's the problem with a hammer. Amen. And I got screwdrivers in my box. And I've got all these things. And every tool is extremely important when it's used for what it should be used. And when you don't use the lot that God has put you in, Life is tough. You'll never be happy. Praise God. Yes, I am a hammer, and I am proud of it. Praise God. And so Judas had a lot in life. God put him in the lot of being a disciple. Praise God. Now, God put Judas in that lot knowing that Judas would betray him. You see, but because God put Judas in that lot, and because God knew that Judas was going to betray him, does not affect the fact that Judas betrayed him. Jesus foreknew he was going to do it, but in the mind of God, he has the ability to know it, but not intervene with it. He did his best to stop Judas, but he knew Judas was going to do it anyways. He didn't predestine Judas to betray him, but he put him in that discipleship mode, and he knew he was going to betray him. Praise God. Now, he he didn't Although God foreknows the path a person will take, that person has a free will to do whatever he wants to do. So God knew it. God didn't tell me I had to stand behind that pulpit. I could come over here. I could come over here. I could do this. I could do that. God gives me a free will. But God knew I was going to do what I just did. So Judas, you know, although he was... God put him in a lot. He said, he created him for that purpose. Every one of us has got a lot. Every one of us has got and if you wonder what your lot is, figure out what you do best besides eat and sleep, okay? Praise God. Figure out what you're good at. If you're good at numbers, do it. If you're good at building, do it. Graduation. Graduation boy. Praise God. Get busy. Be the best you can be, praise God. Don't be lazy. Be the best you can be. Go out there, praise God. Make yourself self-esteem by being able to fulfill what you know how to do best. Let God, and let him use you to bless others. Praise God. The third thing was, Jesus chose Judas knowing he would betray him. But there was a reason for it. And that is Jesus did it. And you think, why did he do that? Knowing he was going to betray him. Well, praise the Lord, God even works through bad things. Did you realize that? God even works through bad things. The person that does something bad to you, God can work through that. Praise the Lord. And what better person to have proof, as you said it, though, to have proof that Jesus was not trying to bring an insurrection. He was not trying to overrule the Roman dictatorship. Because Judas would have said, well, I know what he said to us in private. I know what he did this. The only thing that Judas could do was Judas could bring them to Jesus and betray where he was in his weakest moment. That's all Judas could do. Praise the Lord. And so it was the fact that Judas could do that that allows us to see the other side of the fence. I'm going to read on, verse 21. Wherefore, of these men which have come, campaigned, come I will get it. Compa- compla- companied accompanied, company. yeah, company. thank you. With us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in or out among us. Once again, you just do the best you can do. Verse 22, beginning with the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness for us, with us of his resurrection? And they appointed two, Joseph, called Barnabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed, and they said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell. Now, Now I want you to look at this. We're going to talk about this in a little bit that he might go to his own place, Judas. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So he became the the twelfth apostle. Praise God. Now, a disciple or an apostle, they had to have some qualifications, and their qualifications had to be the fact that they were there through Christ's ministry, from the very beginning of his ministry. Uh, They had to be there to see the fact that uh, John said, Behold, the Lamb of God comes that takes away the sins of the world. They had to be there at Christ's baptism. They had to be there uh, at uh, all his teachings and everything else. There had to be some qualifications, now, verse 25 says that he might take part of the ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go into his own place. Now, we did, we've talked about how everybody's got a spot in life, a place in life. Uh, as pastor, you know, my spot is to be the pastor of the church and to take care of the church. And you know what's amazing thing is if somebody tries to get your spot, God will take care of you. God will take care of you. Praise God. I used to say, if God wants me to leave East Liverpool, he better send me a registered letter. And then I thought, you know what? He could take me home, and nobody will ever try him in a court for murder. (laughs) You know? But everybody's got a lot. Everybody's got his place. You ever notice in towns and in areas, there's churches. They're all spread out. Everybody's got a lot. Everybody's got a place. There's a certain period of time in which that pastor will be in that area. And then God will call him home. And then God will bring another pastor in that area. And it just seems like there's always that lot, that place, praise the Lord. And we read here that, of course, Judas had a place. But that phrase that says that he might go unto his own place. um, If this is talking about Judas... um, then there's, several, there's three ways that this can be taken. Um, the question is that, that, that Judas might go into his own place. What, what does that mean? First of all, um, is it possible that they're talking about for him to go into his own grave, be in his place? Second of all, it could be talking about that Judas would go into hell, Because many would believe or think, and I'm not going to judge him, because uh, you know when he went to hang himself, um, he thrusted himself out over, and uh, obviously broke his neck or something. But in throwing himself off of the rock, the Bible said he the broke, and he went head first down, and smashed his face into the rocks, and that's what killed him. And so, you know, it's possible that he had went to hell. The third place um, is, you know, makes a little more sense to me. And that is the fact, you know, Judas had the place of the disciple or the apostle. And um, when uh, Matthias was able to take that place, Judas was able to go back to just being a a person. In other words, you know, Judas had his lot as a disciple. And he kept that lot until... And it's amazing to me that God has people in places, positions. And it's important to them to be in that position. When we get to heaven... Heaven is going to be filled. And you think, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to sit back and I'm just going to relax and enjoy the sun. And, you know, sit on the beach or whatever. When we get to heaven, you're going to be busy. There's going to be things to do up there. And heaven is going to be, I believe, is going to be putting us back into the thing that was the Garden of Eden type thing. And so, you know, you're going to be busy, but you're going to have Positions and lots. And there's going to be places that you're in. And there's much in the Bible that teaches us that uh, what we do here on earth is getting us ready to be able to do that in heaven. So you good cookers, here I come. You know, and so there's just, there's good uh, things. But there's that lot. So Judas had the lot of the disciple. But whenever Matthias came in, he was able to fill that space so that Judas could go on back to not being a disciple because of his transgression. Praise God. And they, they gave forth their lots. And when they gave forth their lots, uh, the simplest way to do that is they would put two stones in a, in a bag, uh, a dark stone or a white stone, or one would pick up a stone and the other would pick up a stone, and it would be their stone. They'd put it in the bag. They would reach in the bag. Somebody would reach in the bag, pull out a stone, and, uh, it, and, or they would write their name on a parchment, a piece of paper, and draw. And that's the way they drew. And they drew, and they said, Lord, we're going to give it up to you. Now, here's the amazing thing. Um here's the amazing thing about it and that is if we had an election today praise the lord when i look at some of the old timers i get to talk to some of the old timers and the old timers when the united pentecostal church was started they all got together the ministers got together and they would say You know, who wants to be the superintendent? And they'd say, go ahead and take it, John. And no, you take it, Bob. Why don't you take it? And then they finally say, amen. Well, you take it for six months, and I'll take it for six months. And that's what we'll do. And so they was the superintendent. Now, in the UPC, when we come together, they're campaigning to have that position. Praise the Lord. And... It's the same way that, you know, when you have unity, you realize, I don't care who does the job as long as God gets the glory. These men sat around and they were like, Matthias was like, I don't know, I, you know, it could be me, it could be me, it could be me. Well, let's leave it up to God. Let's put the, let's draw lots and see who God chooses because God knows the heart. I believe that uh, Matthias got that, but I also believe, praise God, that um, Joseph, that didn't get it, didn't get it because he wasn't a good godly man. I think he didn't get it because he didn't have the qualifications that Matthias had. And so the point that I'm making here today the attitude of the church of that day was, praise God, we just want revival. We don't care who's in the driver's seat. We don't care what's going on. We don't care who's singing songs. We don't care who's praying. We don't care who's preaching. As long as they're preaching the word of the Lord, we don't care you know, he may be my favorite or not my favorite. It may not be my favorite song. It may, it may be my favorite song. It doesn't matter to me. We just want God to move. So it didn't matter to them who actually got in there. Just as long as God was going to move in the midst. And it's amazing to me. Now, this is a good point. But it's amazing to me. He that they all came together as a church and they dealt with it as a church. It wasn't a committee. Sometimes you get committees. See, our church comes together and when we decide to do something, we do it as a group. We call a group meeting something major. If we're going to buy a building, we're going to have a group meeting. Hey, church, what do you think? Pray with us. Help us. See, this was a, this was a church meeting. When we put our board members in, we called the church, and the church did it as a whole. It was not a committee that said, okay, we're just going to take Brother White and put him in this church, and then 10 years from now, because he's got this church looking pretty good, we're going to take, or he's got it looking pretty bad, whichever, we're going to take him over to another church where he can make that church look good, or take him over to a good church where he can destroy that one for a while. You understand what I'm saying, praise God. It wasn't a a committee thing. It was a church thing, and it's wonderful. I love our church because we need to come together as a church and understand we may not always get our way, but we get God's way. Amen. And And so, you know, Matthias could do the job just as much if not better as the other one did, but God chose him, and God brought him into existence, praise the Lord, and so that's what we are looking at in Acts chapter 1, and like Brother Tim Williams said, he's like, you know, you would think that they would start out in Acts chapter 1, praise God, and guess what, on the day of Pentecost, there was 120 got the Holy Ghost, but that's not the way it started, it started with the business meeting of the church, And that's the way revival has got to be. We do have to take care of the business end of things. Praise the Lord. And we do need to come together, and we need to be in one mind and one accord in our business part. Because if we're not in one mind and one accord in our business part, then we're not going to have the revival come because we're not in one mind and one accord. Praise God. Can you say praise the Lord? Amen. Let's all stand.